Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good morning and welcome to the last day of the church year. Yes, today uh, is the last Sunday in the church year. Next Sunday will be the first, which is the start of Advent. So on this last Sunday of the church lesson, our gospel continues the tone of the last two, where we're looking to the end of the age that is to come. And Jesus teaches us in this lesson about that, uh, that age and that time, and he gives us a glimpse of this final judgment, this uh, judgment that will come on the last day where Christ himself will raise the dead and, and judge them. You notice that he will uh, send the blessed into the uh, kingdom that was prepared for them from the foundation of the world. And conversely, uh, the wicked, the cursed, are sent to the place that was prepared not for any humans, but the place that was prepared for the devil and his wicked angels. So no human should ever feel like hell was prepared for them. But at the same time, no human should ever fear that hell is not the ultimate destination for those who are deemed cursed and wicked. And so this gospel lesson kind of can scare us a little bit. Anyone who hears it ought to be a little frightened. And listen to the words and then think, hmm, well, how do I tell? How do I know for sure that I'm going to be on the sheep side, on the right side, that Jesus is going to see me and say that I did do uh, these things? Um, What is it that makes the difference between the sheep and the goats? That is a question that that can come up. Now, before, before I continue too far, I just want to say that there are some different ways that this text is interpreted. And um, uh, as, as I've mentioned before, I do have the uh, Concordia commentary series, and the author for the uh, commentary on Matthew is Dr. Jeffrey Gibbs. And I really find his commentary to be very good and very thorough and, and all that and well-written. And uh, in this particular case, I think he makes a very compelling case for, uh, for his interpretation of it. And... That's it. I I would say it's very compelling. So I'm going to uh, speak to that. But I want to provide a little overview because there is a lot of misunderstanding around this lesson. So a briefly overview. Uh, Many commentators over particularly the last hundred years or so have uh, used an interpretation of this this gospel lesson uh, that, that Gibbs calls the missionary encouragement reading. Okay, now according to the missionary encouragement reading, Jesus is telling all of us, encouraging us to feed the poor and the needy and to care for them. And in that so doing, we are feeding Christ himself. So when we go out and feed the poor, it's like we're taking care of Christ himself. So this becomes encouragement to care for all people. You want to do something for Christ? Do something for your neighbor. That's how you do it for Christ. Now, especially for, for those of us that are acquainted with the apostles' teaching that we're not saved by works, but are saved by faith, apart from works of the law, we hear this and we think, but that kind of sounds like a works righteousness, so that can't be right. If you interpret it that way, that they're saved by feeding the poor. 
So because it sounds like works righteousness, people point out that those who are saved are sort of unaware of the good works they've even done, you know, because they say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and so forth? So there's like this innocence, this naivete in which, uh, in which believers, Christians, those who are saved, uh, hear Jesus say that you did all this for me. And they say, when? We, we don't remember doing this for you, Christ. Because as believers, we, we go around doing the things that we've been made to do uh, because we have been given new life in Christ. And so, and what flows out of that new life in Christ? Well, good works for your neighbor naturally flow out of that. So as it goes, that sort of interpretation is very attractive. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it makes sense. You hear it and you think, yeah, that, that kind of works. And that's probably the, the predominant teaching nowadays. If you listen to most uh, sermons on this lesson, that's, that's most likely what you're going to hear. Now, I want to say that nobody disagrees with the sentiment, right, that we should care for the needy. I mean, that's just love for your brother. But there's no, there is no disagreement over that. Yes, agreed. Yes, we should care for our brothers. And yeah, I agree also that Christ in us causes us to do that, to love and serve our neighbors in, in a new way, not in a way that's self-serving, like quid pro quo, I'm going to do this for you because I'm going to get this for myself. No, it's actually because it's not works righteousness, it's even a more pure form of love because it's a love that is not, doesn't have as its end any, anything I gain. It just has love for my neighbor. So it is a wonderful thing. Nobody's speaking against that, including Dr. Gibbs. The question, though, is in this particular lesson, is that, exact, is that really what Jesus is saying? That's the question. Is that what Jesus is saying in this lesson? And then also, along with that, is that how the people who heard it when Jesus spoke these words is that how they would have heard it? And those are good questions, and this is where I, I say he provides a compelling case. Now, first of all, we have to look at what defines the term brothers, because Jesus refers to love for your brothers. Now, elsewhere in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus refers to brothers, as he does here, it refers specifically to disciples. It's not to just generically needy people, whoever they might be. It is specifically to disciples. For example, Matthew 12, Jesus said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and here are my brothers. Now, because Jesus spoke specifically of uh, brothers exclusively as the disciples, the idea that the text is admonishing you to just care for the poor generally is untenable. It just doesn't work. That's not the way Jesus speaks in this text. When he talks about brothers, he's not talking about anyone. He's talking about specifically disciples of Jesus. So, uh, and, and most, uh, well, I would say many commentators, I don't know if I have a survey of all the commentators out there, but many commentators would agree with that. Uh, uh, Lenski, who you also know, I, I read uh, Richard Lenski's commentary series, which is a, a tried and true uh, series on the New Testament. Uh, he, he also holds that position that, that Jesus is talking specifically about believers. When he says, the least of these, my brothers, he's talking about believers, not just anybody not generic poor people, just but believers. Now, what Gibbs does 
is takes it a step further and say, besides just being believers, he points out that Jesus is uh, personally connected to those who share the gospel in, in the same way that he's describing this lesson. So, for example, Matthew 10, 40, whoever, Jesus said, whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. So here Jesus referred to his disciples specifically and personally connects with them saying that if, you, if they receive you, they're receiving me. In other words, to receive a messenger of Christ is to receive Christ himself. Now it's not just a believer, but it's a believer who's bringing the message of the gospel to you. It's that one specifically that Jesus is referring to. And that's basically what Gibbs is saying that goes a step beyond a believer. It's a believer who's bringing the gospel. All right. This is also consistent, I want to say, with the Great Commission. Think about the Great Commission. I'll read it. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. The 11 disciples. These are the apostles. <clears throat> and when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus gave this commission to the church, beginning with the apostles. This is not, the commission was not just given to every person, every believer, not as such. It was given to the church as a whole to carry out this great commission of baptizing, of teaching, of making disciples of all nations. That means all people, all ages, all groups, all ethnicities, everybody. Nobody is excluded from that. But he gave it to them and he sent them out. And what did he say? I will be with you to the end of the age. Similar to what he said before, if they receive you, they receive me. Because, you know, in the same way he's saying, I'm with you all to the end of the age. So we have that comfort. I'm with you always. Jesus personally connects with the person who takes the gospel out. Okay, so that is who he describes as his brothers. Now, I also want to give a couple citations that Gibbs provides that come from the early church. One is from St. Ignatius of Antioch. Uh, he lived in the first century AD, and you'll recall that Ignatius was a, uh, a student of Polycarp. He, was, he knew Polycarp, and Polycarp was a disciple of John the Apostle. So he's, this is very soon, early in the young Christian church. And Ignatius uh, wrote this. And the more anyone sees that the bishop is silent, the more let him fear him. For every one whom the master of the house sends to do his business ought we to receive as him who sent him. Therefore, it is clear that we must regard the bishop as the Lord himself. Also, the Didache, which is the early catechism of the first century church, says, My child, thou shalt remember day and night him who speaks the word of God to thee, and thou shalt honor him as the Lord. For where the Lord's nature is spoken of, there is he present. Therefore, against this notion that this gospel lesson from Matthew 25 
enjoins us to care for the poor, that, that that's the message, that this is some, somehow some sort of uh, commandment to go out and, and feed the poor, um, that's not really consistent with Matthew's gospel. That's not the way Matthew, uh, that's not the way this is really presented when you read it in the context of his entire gospel. This is more of a, an admonition or command to receive the gospel and the one who brings it to you. Now, is, is what I'm saying to you, is this self-serving? Because I'm your pastor standing before you telling you that, <laughs> that you should uh, look, just look at me as your Lord. That, that will work. <laughs> God forbid it. You will recall uh, uh, the, the mother, uh, a loving mother, a loving mother, the mother of the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee, John and James. And she went to Jesus and asked, can they sit and one on your right and one on your left? And Jesus said to all the apostles, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So pastors, missionaries, evangelists, those who are sent to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth have no basis for getting arrogant, haughty, too big for their own britches. It's quite the opposite. They're appointed to serve just as Christ served. And how did Christ serve? In humility, suffering. He's the, uh, of course, he's so much more than an example, but he is an example for us to follow um, of of humility, of God working through uh, meekness, um, of God working through um, suffering, that to bring about his ends. So those who, who preach the gospel should not count themselves especially worthy or, or anything like that or, or think too highly of themselves. But it's rather they put their trust in what? See, the one who preaches the gospel is just a messenger. What is the message that they're preaching? Now, see, if, if, if I or any other preacher were to come across as arrogant and confident, okay, fine, because I am certain that Jesus Christ died for your sins and for mine. So I, I preach that good news to you with the utmost certainty. If that strikes you as, as, uh, as arrogant or confident, just know that my confidence does not lie in myself. It lies in Christ and the truth of his message. Any preacher you ever have will fail you because he's a human being. But the message is what you receive. That's the truth that you get is the message that you receive. And the, point, the point of all of this, the, the, the lesson is more like this. It is to say that a terrible and frightful and yet at the same time glorious and wonderful day is coming. And on that day, the dead will be raised and they'll join the living who will come all to the judgment seat of Christ. They will come before Christ to be judged where he will judge the living and the dead. The blessed, they're 
not blessed because they did something. They're blessed because they received the gospel. They received the gospel. They received the one who brought them that message. They didn't turn them away. They received it. And therefore, they were blessed because they were given in that message. They were given faith. You, I mean, I'm talking to all of you. You were given faith when you heard the message and received it. And God worked faith in you to believe that and to know, yeah, I am a rotten, condemned sinner. And on my own, I stand no chance whatsoever. But because Christ has died for my sins, I'm just as righteous as he has made me. I have the righteousness of Christ. So I stand with confidence before the judgment seat knowing that I have that righteousness. Now, meanwhile, those who are accursed are those who rejected Jesus Christ because they would not hear his word of promise. So they rejected Christ and they rejected the messenger who brought that to him. That is what separates the sheep from the goats. So take heart. Take heart because you've received the message. Ponder and think about this. What does it mean? I think that there are certain expectations that a congregation should have of the person who preaches to them. There are certain demands that you should make. And, 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 and it is because you love Christ and you love his gifts of word and sacrament. So you act, so you ask, and you and you make those those demands. And that's and you care for your pastor or for the all those who are sent. This is not specifically pastors. This is anyone that is sent with the word of God. And just know that this is not a this is not a uh, thing of, of scorekeeping, of, of tallying the good deeds that we've done for, for anyone. This is about the heart and how the heart receives the message. If you receive the messenger, you're receiving the message. If you reject the messenger, you're rejecting the message. The messenger is just the messenger, but it's the message that they bring that you're receiving or rejecting. Take heart. Christ all of your sins are forgiven. That is the message, that in Christ Jesus, your sins are washed away. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.